0: Dissecting the D.C. chaos one spin at a time. Welcome to Climate and Chaos with Jay Bashayo. Here's Jay. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Climate and Chaos with Jay. I, of course, am Jay, your host. And wow, do we got a lot to talk about this week. I will tell you, it's been more hit jobs on the president, more smears on his administration and his Supreme Court judge, and it just seems to intensify. And, you know, we've got over a year left until the 2020 election, but I guess that doesn't matter to Democrats because they're just all over this. Uh, First, let's go into, let's talk about probably the biggest thing to come out of this week. It's this, I'm calling it Whistlegate, for lack of a better term, but this whistleblower complaint against the president that... Okay, in a nutshell, what's being said is that President Trump made a promise, an inappropriate promise that was alarming to a member of the intel community that he felt he or she was so alarmed by this that they needed to bring it to the attention of the intel inspector general. Now, this the way the media is tying this together they're making it look like president trump was colluding yep i'm going to use that word that he was colluding with the ukraine in order to further his 2020 election hopes now this is the way in which they're tying all this together now all this information has come out over the last week or so, but they're tying this all the way back to events that took place as early as May, all right? And they don't have any foundation for any of this, as far as I know, to tie all this together. This is just a hit job, at least for the time being. It's it's looking like a hit job. Now, as I'm recording this, I actually come across an article by John Solomon, an excellent journalist. And the title of this article is Missing Piece to the Ukraine Puzzle, State Department Overture to Rudy Giuliani. Guess what I'm finding out in this article? I'll skip to the good part. The coverage suggests Giuliani reached out to new Ukrainian president Vladimir Zelensky's team this summer solely because he wanted to get dirt on possible Trump 2020 challenger Joe Biden and his son Hunter's business dealings. Politics or law could have been a part of Giuliani's motive, and neither would have been illegal. So, right there, if it was research that he was doing on Trump's behalf or related to laws that have been broken, that would not have been an illegality anyway. But the plot thickens. But there's a missing part of this story that the American public need in order to assess what really happened. Giuliani's contact with Zelensky, advisor and attorney. Andre Yermak this summer was encouraged and facilitated by the U.S. State Department. Giuliani didn't initiate it. A senior U.S. diplomat contacted him in July and asked for permission to connect him with Yermak. So what do we get out of this? We get that even though it would not have been illegal if he was doing like opposition research for President Trump anyway, it turns out he wasn't doing any of that. It turns out that the the State Department had urged him to meet in Spain, actually, is where this meeting took place, with the Ukraine, and it was for reasons of getting to know the new person in charge. Now, also, in addition to that, keep in mind, the only thing tying this IG complaint to the phone call with the Ukraine is the media. That's it. Nobody knows anything past that. It's all just the media tying this to the Ukraine call saying, well, it must be based on A, B and C. Well, then it must be D. But we know that's not always the case. Okay, so this IG complaint may have absolutely nothing to do with this Ukraine thing anyway, but we'll see. All right. So let me walk you through the timeline of events here that have occurred. And I'll paint you a big picture of what they're trying to spin together, and I'll show you what is actually truth and what is actually speculation, okay? But first, we got to go back to the 9th of May of this year, okay? And that's when Rudy Giuliani, uh, President Trump's personal attorney, he acknowledged that he had planned to go to the Ukraine. Now, the way that this went down is that Joe Biden and Hunter Biden flew to the Ukraine and within a week's time, the Ukraine had awarded a contract to Hunter Biden that his company wasn't really in line for, that it didn't really make sense because it wasn't their area of specialty or however that goes. Now, also, let's not forget, this actually is probably a good thing that this came up whether it is related to it or not, because now we can take a good look at something that we've all wanted answers to from the beginning. Biden's son, Kerry's son, John Kerry, his son too, involved in de- in dealings in uh, the Ukraine, in China, getting rich off companies and all kinds of things that we don't know anything about, and what bearing did his father have in it? Now, Peter Ducey of Fox managed to track down Joe Biden today, And when he interviewed him, asking him about these allegations, he was really upset. He was PO'd, okay? I don't think anybody gets really that upset if you've got nothing to hide, but I guess we'll see, won't we? Now, let's make a note here, okay? Joe Biden is on video telling a story where he is bragging how he withheld $100 million in foreign aid to the Ukraine while he was vice president and tells the story of how he didn't like one of the attorney generals or whatever it is for the Ukraine, and he was going to withhold funds until they fired him. He's on he's on video bragging about this. The story goes that they had to fire him, and Barack Obama was completely in agreement. They could pick up the phone and call Barack because he's in agreement with this, so they have to fire this person that's looking into his son, or they're not going to get the money. He's completely on video bragging about this. Now, that, that's going to be important. So remember that as we go through this now, okay? Now, on the 25th of July, President Trump has a phone call with Volodymyr Zelensky, who is the newly elected president of the Ukraine. Now, there's readouts on both ends of this phone call. The Ukrainian readout, it describes that President Trump was convinced that the new Ukrainian government would be able to quickly improve the image of the Ukraine, complete an investigation of corruption cases that had interact, that had inhibited the interactions between the Ukraine and the United States. So in this conversation, according to the Ukraine end, President Trump didn't strong arm anybody. He wasn't trying to tell them that they had to do anything in order to get the aid package that we give to the Ukraine. Therein doesn't say anything about that. Now, a less detailed White House version of the phone call just says that he called to congratulate him on his recent election. Okay, so no harm, no foul in any of this. Now, on the 12th of August is when the complaint was filed to the Inspector General from somebody in the intel community claiming that something was so alarming that they heard on a phone call between President Trump and a foreign leader, not even saying that this is this particular call that we're talking about, saying that something was so concerning that they had to file an IG complaint with the Inspector General, who is Michael Atkinson for the, the uh, Intel community, and state that there was such a concern that he that they needed to look into it. So apparently this IG does his job, and he determines that it meets the definition of an urgent concern, okay? So maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, whatever. That's his determination. He said that it included a violation of law or an executive order and finds the complaint to be credible. Okay. Now, on August 28th, Politico reports that President Trump has put a hold on $250 million in military aid to the Ukraine. Okay. They report that he's put a hold on it. Now, there was a review. President Trump was asking all departments to try to come up with 5% cutbacks. He's trying to control the budget. And he was seriously looking at all the money that we pay out to countries in foreign aid. Now, they don't say anything about that this happened in to more than one country. They just say that he put a hold on the $250 million in military aid to the Ukraine. So moving right along, September 9th rolls around, and this is when a lot of things happens. Now, the IG, he reveals at this point that there's the existence of a whistleblower complaint, and he lets the lawmakers know this. Basically, we're talking about Congress, and he lets the uh, acting director of national intelligence know, who is Joseph McGuire. Now, Dan Coates had resigned. His last day was August 15th. So in comes Joseph McGuire, who is now the acting DNI, and they give it to him, which, which is the job of the IG. Now, McGuire does his investigation into this, looks into it, he consults the Department of Justice, the DOJ, like he's supposed to. All of this is within his job. And his determination is that he disagrees with the IG, that he doesn't feel that this is a credible complaint that rises to the level of urgent concern. So he decides that it goes no further. Now, separately on that same day, we're still talking about September 9th, Three uh, U.S. House committees announced that they're going to do a joint investigation into Giuliani's activity in the Ukraine, writing the administration seeks information and documents about Trump and Giuliani's efforts to coerce the Ukrainian government into pursuing two politically motivated investigations under the guise of anti-corruption activity. Now, wait a minute. Okay, first off, Rudy Giuliani is a private citizen. What he does is what he does. If he would have went to the Ukraine because he believed that the former vice president had committed a crime, that doesn't have anything to do with President Trump. President Trump didn't order him. He never came out and said that I've been ordered by the president to go over there. So this House development that President Trump and Rudy Giuliani were basically conspiring to say to the Ukraine, hey, unless you do this, we're not going to pay you this. is absolutely ridiculous. They have absolutely nothing to go on that says that. Now, we go to September 11th and and the 12th. In advance of a Senate Appropriations Committee vote, it was designed to release the $250 million military aid package. So what they're saying is, is that the Senate convenes a panel basically to tell the president to release the money. Now, the administration At this point, relents and frees up the military aid, along with another $142 billion in State Department funds. Now, this panel is laden with Republicans that are sympathetic to the Ukraine. So the money gets released, not because the committee said it, but because the president ordered it. Moving right along, the money is paid to the Ukraine as scheduled. Now, let's let's be perfectly clear here with something. The president controls these funds. The president says who gets what, all right? So he didn't have to release it at this point, but he conducted his review. As far as we all know, he conducted his review, and then he released the funds. On the 13th of September, Mr. Little Adam Schiff himself, who just has tried to bury the president for three years now— All he's done with his life is is, is claim that he has the smoking gun of collusion. That's been his whole claim to fame. Has he produced any evidence whatsoever? Absolutely not. Right. So he led us to believe for three years that he had the the goods on Trump, that he was going to bury Trump. So this guy has zero dog in the fight, as far as I'm concerned. He's got no credibility in this argument. He demands that the letter be released from the whistleblower, which McGuire, doing his job, refuses. So, what does Schiff do? He subpoenas him. McGuire again refuses, claiming that Schiff doesn't have a right to the document under a technical reading of the stature because the complaint concerns the conduct by someone outside the intel community. So, they're saying it's not even for the intel committee's jurisdiction. They slate a hearing for September 26th. So, this Thursday, Joseph McGuire will go before the Intel Committee and explain to them exactly why it's not related and and what he can tell. Now, it it possibly contains information of a classified nature. If it has anything to do with a phone call between President Trump and a foreign leader, that's not necessarily all to be divulged. If they had confidential talks about anything that's not available to hear, they're not going to get that information. So this hearing might be a lot of, I can't answer that or executive privilege. We'll see. So now, how does all this tie together? This is how it ties together. On September 19th, the Washington Post and the New York Times report that the whistleblower's complaint involves President Trump's phone call with the Ukrainian president. Now, at that same time, uh, Rudy Giuliani made an appearance on CNN and acknowledged he pressed the Ukraine to investigate Biden. Okay, fine. So Giuliani is saying he said to the Ukraine, you need to investigate Biden. That has nothing to do with the president. There is nothing showing that President Trump ordered him to do this. And even if he did, even if he told the Ukraine, hey, maybe you guys should look at this, that has absolutely nothing to do with anything. Of course, though, the Democrats are going to spin it and say that President Trump is trying to further his 2020 chances by taking the front runner out of the Democrat Party. Now, wait a second. Of course, apparently, there is no concern for the fact that Hunter Biden, or more to the point, Joe Biden, may have broken the law. Now, we have, again, now let's go back to what I was talking about here. Joe Biden is on video admitting that he coerced the Ukrainian government, into firing one of their attorney generals that was investigating Hunter Biden. We have him on video for this. We don't need an IG complaint. We have him right there on video saying it, bragging about it. But apparently that's not important to anybody. In, in essence, what they're saying is that guy should be president. But President Trump, who had a conversation that may have involved a conversation about Hunter Biden or Joe Biden, and that's him trying to get the Ukrainian government to collude with us in order to stop Joe Biden's presidential chances. Is that not the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard or or what? The the guy that we have proof that did something wrong, he just skates by. There's There's no look at him from the mainstream media whatsoever. This is all on President Trump. The onus all falls on him. So... <laughs> Huh. Anyway, so so on the 20th, now, President Trump is asked if he brought up Biden in the call. He replies, it doesn't matter what I discussed. And that's right. It doesn't matter what he discussed. Uh, he also uses the moment to urge the media to look into Biden's background with the Ukraine. OK, now, of course, it, this is nothing new. President Trump has tweeted about this in the past, that somebody should look into Biden's background with the Ukraine. But what's the problem with that? President Trump, can he can assert to anybody he wants that this should be done or that should be done, especially with the raw deal he's been dealt and how horribly the media has treated him. What about the fact that, let's think about this for a second. What about the fact that we have also on video, what about when President Obama said to the Russian official that he would have more flexibility after his election? Everybody remember that? I'll transmit that back to Vladimir. Yeah, you remember that conversation? That was on video for everyone to see. And of course, that doesn't seem to be a pressing issue. So what I think they're doing here, now this is just me. This is my opinion. I think that this IG complaint is BS. I think it was planted there by somebody in the Democrat Party that doesn't want Joe Biden to be the front runner. Now, think about this for a minute before you dismiss it and call me crazy. Think about this. Say the fact that Joe Biden is gaffing constantly. He's having his gaffes all over the place. People are questioning his physical ability to be president, his mental fitness to be president. What are the Democrats most scared of? Well, they're most scared of President Trump winning a second term. So they want to make sure that they're going to put out the person that they think is most likely to beat President Trump. My opinion, I don't think any of them have a chance, but okay, fine. Let's let's humor the situation for a moment and say that Warren or Kamala Harris or whoever they think has a better chance. All they got to do is drop this phony IG complaint into somebody's hands. Schiff makes a big deal about it. All of a sudden they say that President Trump is trying to collude with the Ukraine, and Hunter Biden and Joe Biden get investigated in the long run, drops Biden out of the race, he has to drop out, and President Trump goes down as the guy that orchestrated the whole thing, and they say that President Trump was trying to collude with the Ukraine. I mean, is it really that far-fetched to think that they're trying to get the front-running candidate out because they don't think he has a chance? Would it be so far to believe that The government is trying to play a role in who the next president is. Didn't they just get done doing that in 2016 with the Russia gate crap that they played? This wouldn't be the first time that they tried to sway the result of a duly elected president, right? Think about it. It's not that far-fetched. But I don't think any of it matters anyway. I think when it comes down to it, I don't think President Trump said, I'm not paying you your, fine, your, your foreign aid unless you investigate Biden. After all, the money was released. So what did he do? Did he half-heartedly go into this and say, investigate Biden? And they said, no. And he said, OK, well, here's the money. Now, well, I don't think that would have happened. So. Again, they have absolutely nothing on this. They have the White House printouts, which don't in- indicate that President Trump did anything adverse. And they also have the Ukrainian version of the phone call, which doesn't say he indicated anything in his conversation that would be inappropriate. And President Trump, of course, has commented on this. He said that everything he does is in the best interest of the country and he is fully aware of who is listening on our end of the phone, and he doesn't know necessarily who's listening on the other end of the phone. So why would he try and do something like that? They they just spent three years trying to convince us that our duly elected president colluded with Russia to steal the election. The Mueller report comes out, and they all look like fools. Now, you mean to tell me that after accusing the president of trying to cheat his way through the 2016 election— now he's going to actually go ahead and try to cheat his way through the 2020 election? Give me a break. Absolutely not. Ultimately, I don't think anything comes of this. I think this is just going to be their 0 for 20, 0 for 21 shot at taking out the president. But I think it all fails again, as always. They they just don't seem to learn that they this president is not doing anything nefarious. But they're going to accuse him of it every chance they get. Every time around, they're going to try to build a case against them. And as always, it goes absolutely nowhere. Okay, so let's talk about this situation with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. As you probably know, the Kingdom was hit with an attack on their oil fields in the eastern province of Saudi Arabia. Now, immediately, the Houthi rebels take responsibility for this. They are glory-hounding it, of course, and saying that it was the Houthi rebels that did this attack. Well, nobody's buying that, okay? This was a strategic drone attack that was probably done by a state actor, not a group of rebels. Now, of course, everybody points immediately to the biggest troublemaker in the Middle East, Iran. Now, we got to take a look at this from a 30,000-foot view, I think, in order to discern what our next move is who would be responsible for the next move, and things like that. Now, President Trump did order a military presence to Saudi Arabia. Now, as it was explained by our new uh, Secretary of Defense, it is primarily going to focus on missile defense troops to secure Saudi Arabia's perimeter But we are moving troops. As last checked, as of the time of this recording, I didn't have an actual number of troops on the ground, but they did say, uh, General Joseph Dunford did say, we're not talking thousands, we're talking possibly hundreds. So we are putting some boots on the ground in Saudi Arabia to secure them. Now, why do we have to do that? Let's take a look at this for a second here, okay? We are energy independent. When it comes down to it, we are now in the business of exporting energy, something that we never did under any other administration until President Trump. We're exporting it to the world. So this oil that was affected in Saudi Arabia, it accounts for 5% of the global oil in the world. But more importantly than that, we have to look at the fact that Iran and their nefarious activities Causing so much instability in the Middle East is a major problem for the United States. We cannot just let Iran run wild in the Middle East. That is of a strategic interest to the United States. Now, does that oil affect us? Not so much. President Trump said that we will tap our reserves if need be. If it comes down to that, we will. Now, from what I've seen personally, that doesn't stop these gas stations from hiking up the gas prices. I I have noticed that in my area especially, they've gone up about 30 cents a gallon. Now, they're probably, this is all in preparation. They do this every time there's some kind of oil crisis or oil shortage or whatever the situation may be. This typically tends to happen anytime there's an issue, the gas prices go up, regardless of whether or not we're affected. I think it's important for President Trump to lay out what his foreign policy goals are. Are we completely interested in a presence in the Middle East anymore? What we don't want to happen, obviously, is another Iraq or another Afghanistan, God forbid. Another Afghanistan would be crippling. We've spent so much money in the Middle East to date that our home front has suffered over it. You take a look at cities with crumbling infrastructure— that are falling apart, why aren't we paying for those things? Because we've spent so much money in the Middle East that we're not taking care of our home front. Now, that's a problem that didn't develop on President Trump's watch, but it's certainly one that he's in control of, and he's been taking steps to eliminate or reduce greatly our presence in Afghanistan, and hopefully that works out. But right in the middle of doing all that, Iran pops off with activity like this. Iran has stated that any retaliation against Iran will be, and I quote, all-out war. Well, Iran is feeling rather brave, aren't they? They really want to start something with us? I think that would be over quicker than it starts. But I don't think President Trump has any interest in dragging us into a ground war. I don't see that happening at all. I think it's right that he steps up and provides support to the Saudis. The Saudis have been an ally to us in the Middle East in an area where there is a lot of destabilization. So I think it's important on that end. Now, when this all went down, Mike Pompeo, Secretary Pompeo, he responded immediately saying that this was Iran's doing. Do we know that 100%? Well, I don't think we do. But I will say that if it wasn't Iran directly, it was Iran indirectly. They have the capability to launch these types of drones. They also have the ability to sell these drones to other countries. But I don't think this is something that the Houthi rebels can necessarily claim was their doing. I firmly lean on the fact that this was Iran. Iran has to be kept an eye on. They've already shot down one of our drones. They've caused instability in the shipping area there. They have seized a British tanker. Now, where does this come from? Now, let's stop and think. Where does this come from? Where does Iran get their financing? Well, I seem to remember uh, billions of dollars being shipped over there by a certain administration, you know, loaded up on pallets by military plane in the dead of the night. Yeah, right. One thing that also needs to be looked into here, and I really hope President Trump is thinking about this, what role did John Kerry play in this whole situation? Now, he, we know for a fact, has been meeting with Iran. He's been meeting with their prime minister, meeting with uh, Rouhani, and he's been in their ear, basically behind the president's back, talking about whatever. So I'm very interested to know, what did John Kerry know about this? Did he know about it? And what did he know? Because one way or another, I never agreed with it when he was doing it, and it kind of just faded. Nobody took any action on John Kerry, but he definitely could be prosecuted. That is a prosecutable offense to go overseas and conduct negotiations with a foreign country without the government's authorization. John Kerry has a real hard time remembering he is no longer Secretary of State. Nobody asked for his input. Nobody wants his input. He needs to just stay out of that area altogether. So, I'm sure more will develop on this Iran issue. This is something we'll be talking about more of in the future. But as of right now, this is where we're at with that. We've got some troop movement in there. We'll wait and see what happens. And of course, as always, prayers for the troops. We'll see where this goes. All right, now I want to talk about the New York Times and how they have demonstrated that journalism is completely 100% dead in this country. Okay, but before I go into that, I just want to say real quick, how about Ed Buck? Finally, this guy gets arrested, right? He has two men die of drug overdoses in his Hollywood home. And finally, and when a third man ODs but lives, they finally decide it's time to arrest Ed Buck. Now, the U.S. attorney in that case is saying that Buck was trading sex with men for drugs. Interesting, right? But not much has come out of this. I know he was arraigned uh, on Friday, and we will have more to discuss on that. So just keep Ed Buck in your mind for now. Anyway, let's move on to the article put out by the New York Times in regards to Brett Kavanaugh. They just cannot leave this man alone, can they? It's amazing. The Democrats want to, they couldn't stop his confirmation, so they want to start all over again now and try to build a case on him. And they have no shortage of help from their sycophant media, who seems to be playing right along with this. So an article comes out in the New York Times, and it was called, Brett Kavanaugh fit in with the privileged kids. She did not. Now, this whole article is a bunch of crap, if you haven't seen it. They ended up getting called out on this. I'm going to explain all that, but here's what went down, okay? So they write this article. Now, the first thing that they do is that they're bringing back the Deborah Ramirez accusations, and it's painting her to be this innocent little girl that had her life ripped away by Brett Kavanaugh, you know, and all this. Now, I seem to remember that situation with Deborah Ramirez was debunked, and had absolutely zero credibility found to it. Hence, Judge Kavanaugh, Justice Kavanaugh now, was confirmed. But the New York Times goes into bringing all that up. Then they release this new groundbreaking information. They state that this gentleman by the name of Max Steyer, he says he saw Brett Kavanaugh at a party with his pants down where his friends were pushing his penis into another female student's hand. You get all that? Really? That's what that's what this guy claims. Now, he states he notifies senators and he notified the FBI, but they didn't investigate. Now, of course, Max Steiner declined to discuss this publicly. Now, here are the two things that the New York Times intentionally left out of the story. They did not include the fact of who Max Steyr is. Max Steyer is an attorney for the Clintons, and he has a grudge against Brett Kavanaugh going back the Clinton impeachment. Gee, we didn't want to mention that, did we? It's nothing like giving the readers all the facts and then letting them decide what's important and what isn't. No, they left that part out. And just as big, if not bigger than that, they didn't mention the fact that none of this woman's friends can corroborate this story. None of them recall this happening. And the woman herself doesn't recall this happening and doesn't want to be contacted for any of this. Unbelievable. I said it before and I'll say it again. Journalism is dead in this country. We're going to look back 20, 30, 40, 50, however many years from now, and we're going to be able to look at almost the exact day when the media lost all credibility. President Trump made some comments. He was looking right at the media when he told them that they are laughed at all around the world. The United States media is laughed at all around the world because they do such a shoddy job. And then he cl- he he ended the statement by looking right at them and saying, "You guys are a joke." Now, Brian Steltzer of CNN gets right on Twitter and puts out that this is such an abuse of presidential power. Is it really, Brian? Well, maybe it's the truth. This is the same media that for two and a half years spun us this narrative created by the Democrats that President Trump was colluding with, with Russia. That's what they told us for two and a half years. It turned out that none of it was true. They invent a new story about President Trump weekly, and it always ends up being found out to be completely fraudulent and have no basis in reality whatsoever. But if you ask them, they do a bang-up job, and they're just so devoted to their industry. It's an absolute joke, the media in this country. So what are the effects on Brett Kavanaugh? Brett Kavanaugh hasn't said a word. He's been completely quiet. Okay, but now... This same trauma that his family went through before, they're trying to make him relive. Well, why are they doing all this? What is the point here? Okay, let's look at the United States Supreme Court, and let's see what's going on there that would maybe cause this kind of actions from the media. The left is scared completely, okay, because of what the Supreme Court is taking on in this new fiscal year. Some of the cases that they're taking on are huge. They're looking at DACA. They're looking at the transgender military ban. They're looking at partisan gerrymandering. They're looking at the 2020 census question that President Trump had proposed. All these things, all these decisions on these cases, those are just some of them. There's even more major policy decisions that the Supreme Court's going to face. They are going to shape the policy in this country for the next 30 to 40 years at least. So, knowing that they can't take Brett Kavanaugh out, they already tried that, they want to discredit the Supreme Court. They want to cheapen the value of the Supreme Court decisions so that way they think they can maneuver around the decisions. Absolutely devious, scheming, evil people on the left. Who would? think to do anything like that. That is just downright unbelievable. So what happens? What happens to Brett Kavanaugh? What are your 2020 Democrats saying? They jump right to impeachment when they hear this article. Now, after the New York Times gets called out by, I believe, it was Molly Hemingway, after this gets called out, and they have to actually indicate the corrections to the story and put the notes on the story, which doesn't even matter at this point. The damage has already been done to Brett Kavanaugh. You know, his family has had to reopen these wounds, and once again, there's people out there that aren't going to read the retraction. The damage has already been done by the story. What do these 2020 Democrats do after this story is debunked? Well, they jump right. To, they actually go and double down on the fact that he should be impeached. None of these 2020 characters on the Democrat side, in my mind, have any credibility at all. They just keep going further and further into left field, both figuratively and literally. They're just so out there that absolutely nothing they say is making any sense. So, to recap what we've just talked about, the mainstream media is, in fact, I will echo the President's words, They are, in fact, the enemy of the people. You can't believe what you hear. I encourage everybody, do like I do. Do your own research. Divulge all the information you can find. Discern it into your brain. And then decide from there what you believe. But don't take these New York Times, Washington Post, CNN, MSNBC. It's all a bunch of garbage. You know, as a matter of fact, I believe Adam Schiff actually made a comment that it really didn't matter if President Trump did anything or not. He's still guilty anyway. I think he phrased it a little differently. I think what he actually said was that it didn't have to be a quid pro quo thing that President Trump did over the phone for him to have betrayed his country. Like I said at the beginning of this, guys, the left is totally out to just destroy anything that we hold valid. So keep that in mind when you're discerning your information. There's no truth in the media anymore. Okay, so the last thing I want to talk about, and I'm just going to talk about it briefly. Anybody see Corey Lewandowski testifying before Jerry Nadler's committee? What a joke that was, huh? So what did we determine from this? We determined that Corey Lewandowski is not always honest with the media, so it's not like they're ever honest with us about anything, and that he didn't play any part in any type collusionary efforts with Russia. We determined that. See, this is Jerry Nadler. This is him with his phony impeachment inquiry. I talked about this last podcast where he can call all the all the investigations he wants. He can call the the people to testify, whoever he wants to testify, and he goes and tries to make it look to the American people like we're moving closer to impeachment because he wants to satisfy his lunacy base. And this is just step one in that. He calls Corey Lewandowski to testify because he wants to sling as much mud as him, at him, as he possibly can. And he wants to again, try to ruin any credibility that the president has. And this is just step one in it. They still want to get Don McGahn to testify. I doubt that's going to happen because he's covered under executive privilege. So they're just going to keep throwing people up on the stand. I'm not sure who's going to be next, but Corey Lewandowski was the start of it. Corey did an amazing job. You know, his opening statement pointed out how the committees are focusing on the wrong thing that they absolutely should be trying to solve the nation's issues, not working on bashing and destroying President Trump on on stuff that has already been debunked as not accurate, not true, and never happened. So, Corey did a wonderful job systematically taking apart that committee. Now, Jerry Nadler, in my opinion, has completely lost it. He is changing the rules on the fly with the committee so many times. If you watched any of this, He went through the normal five-minute rule with all the Congress people. Then, when he gets done, decides that he's going to have a contractor employee to the committee. Uh, Basically, what it comes down to is he decides he's going to have a lawyer question Corey Lewandowski, to which, of course, the Republicans, Doug Collins, the ranking member, completely objects to nowhere is this supposed to be possible that they're allowed to have counsel ask questions for 30 minutes. That was the other thing too. Every congressperson gets five minutes to ask questions, but now they come to this contracted employee, this lawyer basically, and they're going to give him 30 minutes. How does that make any sense? I have no idea. Jerry Nadler continues to change the rules until he gets his way and they decide to have this lawyer ask Corey questions. Corey did an excellent job by basically not playing into his games. He tried showing him quotes saying, "You said this. Now you're saying this." Corey's like, "So I didn't. I wasn't. I didn't know. I had a, an oath obligation to be honest with the media. They're not honest with me, you know. So maybe I wasn't honest with them." He certified that everything he has testified under oath is true and accurate. He really did a bang up job. He did great. Yeah, Jerry Nadler, on the other hand, he is just making rules as he goes. I'm telling you, that it's getting to him that he has not impeached President Trump. His legacy is going to be shot. Everything he's done is going to be shot in the last two years because he ran on the premise that he was the, quote-unquote, best for impeachment. And now he's not going to fulfill that goal because you and I both know he's got nothing to impeach the president on. But he's going to keep trying. Jerry Nadler's just will be judged by history and it won't be kind. All right. So that takes us through another week of Climate and Chaos with Jay. I thank you so much for tuning in and listening. It is you who makes it possible for me to make these podcasts. And if you keep listening, I will keep making them. If you guys aren't following me, you know what I always say: make sure you go to Twitter and follow us. Last week I told you we broke four thousand followers. Finally, that was very, very nice accomplishment. But check out my Facebook too. I'm on there, and I do post a lot of announcements there. Usually, um, that is at Climate and Chaos on Facebook, and I have an Instagram too. That's at Climate and Chaos Podcast, and that is underscored between each word. Did I mention we're also on YouTube? We are now on YouTube. It took us a while to get there, but we are now there. So if YouTube is your preferred method of listening, go ahead and check us out on YouTube. Once again, you guys are too wonderful to me by tuning in and listening. I so appreciate it. This has been Jay with Climate and Chaos with Jay. Have a great week. I will talk to you again soon. And until we talk again, take good care of each other. (laughs) you <laughs>